Welcome to the small town of Jerusalem's Lot, Maine. A happy little burg with a dark history, mostly tied to the legendary Marston House, a supposedly haunted house that looms over the town like a giant monument to evil. The latest inhabitants of the Marston House, mysterious antique dealers Richard Straker and Kurt Barlow. Their arrival coincides with a series of disappearances happening around town, and fiction author Ben Mears becomes convinced that Barlow is a vampire and Straker is his ghoulish keeper. Today we dive into the 1979 miniseries that first adapted Stephen King's second novel, Salem's Lot. I'm Connor Zagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, listeners. This is episode 47 of the Filmgasm podcast, yet another discussion set in the world of Stephen King. Salem's Lot is one of the creepiest vampire novels ever written, and it was only his second novel. I recently read it for the second time, and it creeped me out more than ever. This is one of the few miniseries that we're going to cover on the podcast, so buckle up. We've talked about the 1990 It. There's just not, you know, it's tough doing a miniseries. It's a three-hour slog that's usually not that good. <laughs> yeah, it was at that time tough to get actors involved on TV that were, you know, you know, that bring up yeah. that, that, that punch. That bring Getting that, Tim Curry was a treasure, you know, oh, yeah. a rarity. Very tough, yeah. yeah. And, and is and is definitely the diamond in the rough of that movie. For sure. It's the only part really worth watching, and Bill Skarsgård has kind of fucked that up. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, no he's too kidding. good. He's too good. No kidding. <laughs> Last week's American Werewolf episode and Blues Brothers bonus were both so much fun. And next week... Uh, we're going to have Austin's birthday pick to dig into. Oh, yes. Also, we hope you enjoyed our Sunday bonus of the first annual Filmgasm Awards. We plan to do that every year just before the Oscars, just for the hell of it. We just love doing this shit. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> In just a few weeks, it'll be time for our 10th Weird Shit Wednesday, episode 50, where we'll dig into the career and life of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of the most respected character actors of all time. Nominated for three Oscars and winning one, Hoffman had 64 credits to his name, including The Master, Doubt, Charlie Wilson's War, and The Big Lebowski, until his death in 2014 of a drug overdose. We'll dig into a selection of 20 of his best performances and celebrate the career of one of the greatest actors who's ever stepped in front of a camera. Very excited. I cannot wait. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah. This is, this is one of the Weird Shit Wednesdays that we have had in mind. Uh, when we started the podcast almost, yeah. almost, you know, almost a year ago now, uh, we're going to enjoy this one a lot. Big it's time. a lot of fun to honor this guy. We both, you know, we both, we both adore his, his work. We've been prepping this for three months already. <laughs> yeah. We've both been watched. We've watched a lot. Like you said, uh, upwards of 20. Yeah. Um, you know, Connor's writing reviews for those. So you go check those out on filmgasm.com. Yes, indeed. Uh, as we go, Connor's writing reviews for them. We're talking about them. We're both surprised at. How, the quality of the film, then just, but mainly we're, we're watching him. We're watching the man, man himself, and that's who we're going to be talking about. So yeah, be, be ready. If you want to do some, do some uh, homework of your own, I, I think right yeah. now, right now The Master is on Netflix. Doubt is on Netflix. Talented Mr. Ripley. Magnolia is on Netflix. That's four yep. ESH performances just on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Go check those out, man, you know, because we're going to be talking about uh, definitely those four. For sure. Uh, heavily, so yeah. Uh, cannot wait for that one. That's definitely a, Weird Shit Wednesday, sometimes we're digging into stuff that's tough to talk about. This is not. No, this is going to be a is the man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, can't wait, man. Ah, oh, this is so much good. So. But first, it's time for the rewind. 
where we look at past episodes in search of updates. Got two for you today. All right. One on bonus episode one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. And one on bonus episode 10, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Yikes. No, it's a good one. (laughs) It's a good bonus. Okay, okay. First, Quentin Tarantino has announced that he is interested in bringing the fictional TV show Bounty Law to life as a five-episode miniseries. The fuck? Why not? (laughs) Sure, why not? Okay. I'll take it. Bounty Law is the show that actor Rick Dalton starred in before the events of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Tarantino has reportedly been planning this since before the film's release and has already begun writing the series and courting streaming services like Netflix. No word yet on whether Leo DiCaprio will be returning to portray Rick Dalton, who will be portraying Jake Cahill. I hope to God I don't want anyone else doing it. It needs to be Leo. Has to be. And Otherwise, this wouldn't, yeah. I feel like, why not? Yeah, of course he'll do it. He'll do it. Why not? This is just... What has he got better to do? This is crazy. Like, he's making a fake TV show. <laughs> All right, yeah. I only I want to see Brad Pitt be Leo's stunt double. Like we don't see like he doesn't oh, have a lead role. That would be cool. But every time like Jake Cahill jumps off a horse, you, it's, it's Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be great. It's never addressed. <laughs> oh, perfect. But you know maybe this will be another you know Quentin Tarantino Star Trek or a Kill Bill three. Where yeah, it's a pipe dream that doesn't actually happen. That's true. We never know with this guy. He's got so many grand plans that it's hard to take him at his word at this point. Too much for one mind, yeah. And next, a quick update on El Camino. The Breaking Bad spinoff Better Call Saul has been renewed for a sixth and final season on AMC that will air in 2021. Its upcoming fifth season premieres on February 23rd this year, and I can't fucking wait. Yeah, man. It's going to be great. So it's going to be one season longer than Breaking Bad. How about that? (laughs) I really hope the last scene of Better Call Saul is Walter White walking into his office to get Badger out of prison. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> just, you know, end it cyclical, like, just perfect, right there. Oh. That's, yeah, we'll see. So much good shit. <laughs> I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so excited. I can't believe there's two more full seasons of, of content uh, because I'm not satisfied with El Camino. So no. I need more. Right. Mm-mm. I need to go back to Albuquerque. Yeah. I need more. I need to see Saul Goodman's first year as Saul Goodman. Well, and I just need, I need, um, I need that validation that Vince Gilgan still got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I know he does, you know, but I need, I need that. I need to see that first episode and be like, all right, all right, I'm back in a safe place. That movie was a fluke. Let's move on, you know? <laughs> Sad, but yes. I'm just being honest. I get it. We gave, a, I mean, we fucking gave it the... Yeah, we know. tore that movie apart. <laughs> Didn't like it. Salem's Lot began life as a novel published in 1975. In several interviews in the 80s, King stated that Salem's Lot was his favorite. The town also featured heavily in the short stories Jerusalem's Lot and One for the Road, both from the 1978 collection Night Shift. Characters from the novel, most notably Father Donald Callahan were prominent in the later books of King's Dark Tower series, Wolves of the Kala and Song of Susanna. It was inspired by King's idea of what would happen if Dracula came to modern America. Cool idea. And I can't believe this was his follow-up to Carrie. Like, right. starting fucking strong. Unbelievable. <laughs> and then I think his follow-up to this was The Stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was The Shining, and then well, it was The Dead Zone. Like, fuck, man. That stretch, yeah, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> too much. Ugh. It's like every year. Every, yeah. 
The miniseries debuted on CBS in 1979 as two episodes, directed by horror filmmaker Toby Hooper, who we've talked about in the past as director of horror masterpieces Poltergeist and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Of course, if you followed our podcast for a while and you listened to our Poltergeist episode, then you know that Toby Hooper most likely did not direct Poltergeist, but instead took a backseat to a very handsy, involved Steven Spielberg. <laughs> it was yes. his, yeah. Come on. It's very, it's obvious. Watch the film. Watch, watch the film. Watch Poltergeist and watch E.T. And yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we all know what this is. Another King project that he directed actually was 1995's The Mangler, based on a story from Night Shift. So Hooper did later on do another King movie. A bad one, apparently. I didn't see it, but I heard it was shit. The Mangler was such a cool story, too, in Night Shift. Just, you know, a demonically possessed industrial dryer. <laughs> Not the easiest to adapt for the screen. <laughs> Hooper died in 2017 at age 74 of natural causes. But his, you know, he put his stamp on horror. I mean, Texas Chainsaw alone is enough to get this guy into the Horror Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, and then just being known as the guy who took the back seat to Steven Spielberg. Yeah. That's, who, that's cool in itself. Yeah. I want to get t-shirts printed up that say Toby Hooper didn't direct Poltergeist. Just for the fuck of it. <laughs> oh, all good fun. So the cast of the film is mostly TV actors of the time. David Soul, known for his lead role on the 70s cop show Starsky and Hutch. He was Hutch. Played writer Ben Mears. Soul also had a successful singing career with hit, with hit singles Silver Lady and Don't Give Up on Us Baby. Of course he did. His name's David Soul. How do you not become a singer with that? Yeah. That handle. And he bothered me so much in this movie. He's he seems like he's always gonna fly off the handle. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah. He's always really stressed out. And his haircut is ridiculous. <laughs> he looks exactly like Biff at the beginning of Back to the Future when he's giving George McFly shit about the blind spot. He's got the same haircut. <laughs> Ugh. It's all I could see. Yeah. No, the, <laughs> after like the first 15 minutes, I was like, whew. <laughs> Gotta get used to that. That, uh, that head of hair. Jesus. So this is our hero. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Fuck. Oscar nominee James Mason plays Richard Stryker, the evil guardian of the vampire Barlow. Mason apparently loved the script and really wanted to play a bad guy. That's why this legendary Oscar-nominated yeah. actor is in this movie. Mason was nominated for his roles in 1954's A Star is Born, 1966's Georgie Girl, and 1982's The Verdict. He also starred in 1962's Lolita, 1959's North by Northwest, and 1952's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, among others, before his death in 1984 at age 75 from a heart attack. James Mason is a hell of an actor. I've seen a lot of his work. He's fucking great. And it's so weird that he's in this. Yeah, I know. Doesn't make any sense. I guess he's the guy who validates the, the project. Yeah. He really wanted to play a bad guy. Yeah. I, I, Which is interesting because I think he played a fucking bad guy in Lolita. Yeah. He's a monster in that movie. He's yeah. He's a fucking child. You don't is, get much more bad that, guys than that. Is that not enough? Yeah. <laughs> And he was great in The Verdict, too. That's a, that's a great movie. Love The Verdict. Paul Newman. Oh, man. Fun. <laughs> uh, I haven't yet seen his uh, his um, A Star Is Born performance. Neither have I. But 
that is going to be on the docket for an upcoming Weird Shit Wednesday that yeah. we'll be talking about in about a month. So Yeah. <laughs> Sometime in March that'll be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lance Kerwin plays Mark Petrie, the young boy who joins the Vampire Hunters after the death of his parents. Kerwin played minor roles on a bunch of TV shows and also had roles in 1985's Enemy Mine and 1995's Outbreak, which was his last credit. Yeah. I think he's likely retired. Just never really took off for him. And I was reading his trivia. He got arrested in the late 80s for crack cocaine possession. Jeez. But it turned out what his... What the cops thought was drugs was actually baking soda. Uh, and he was released. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I read that at first, like, oh shit, he fell on hard times. But nope, yeah. just baking soda. <laughs> yeah, I just carry it around with me, man. I wonder why he had just a bag of baking soda. That just raises more questions. Yeah, it's even weirder. Unless they planted it or something. But why would they plant fake drugs? So many questions. Yeah. <laughs> Do they think the cops are that dumb? <laughs> yeah. I saw this one, this... Uh, article about this guy who got arrested for a uh, possession of a bag of meth but it was actually a bag of kitty litter that he was using to defrost his windows and his the look on his mugshot is so is like this smug arrogant smile of like you sons of bitches are going to be apologizing to me <laughs> so hard <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> countersuit just oh man so great <laughs> uh bonnie bedelia plays susan norton ben's girlfriend and later victim of barlow Bedelia is best known for playing Holly Gennaro, wife to super cop John McClane in the Die Hard franchise. So pretty sweet. And her role is significantly dropped from what it is in the book. Yeah. She's a much stronger I've, character. I read that, yeah. Unfortunate. Everyone really suffers. It sucks. Yeah. But nobody suffers worse than Barlow, and we're going to get into that. Oh, God. Oscar nominee Lou Ayers plays teacher Jason Burke, changed from Matt Burke in the book for no apparent fucking reason. Ayers was nominated for his role in 1948's Johnny Belinda. He had a successful film career in the early 20th century, appearing in films like All Quiet on the Western Front, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, and he played Dr. James Kildare in eight films. He died in 96 at age 88 from complications due to a coma. Ed Flanders plays Dr. Bill Norton, combining the roles of Susan's father and Dr. Jimmy Cody. Why? I don't know. Flanders had a lead role in the 1982 to 1988 hospital drama Saint Elsewhere, and he played a priest in The Exorcist 3, among other roles. He committed suicide in 1995 at age 60. Jeez. Yeah, didn't see that coming. Exorcist 3, man. Like, we might reserve a full episode for Exorcist 3. That's a fucking scary movie. Indeed it is. <laughs> Indeed it is. Oof. Jeffrey Lewis plays Mike Ryerson, gravedigger turned vampire victim. Lewis appeared in The Devil's Rejects, Maverick, yes. The Way of the Gun, and a number of other films before his death in 2015 at age 79 from a heart attack. Fred Willard plays Larry Crockett, realtor who's sleeping with his married secretary. Another subplot that means fucking nothing in the movie. Way more significant in the book. <sighs> Willard is a notable character actor who has appeared in films like Best in Show, Anchorman, Wally, and he had recurring guest appearances on Everybody Loves Raymond and Modern Family. Fred Willard's a goddamn national treasure. That guy's yeah. hilarious. Oh yeah, he's he might be my favorite part of Best in Show. Just the commentator who knows nothing about dogs. <laughs> and he's just saying random shit to the other guy, and he's got probably my favorite line in the movie. He just goes like, "Quick question: How much do you think I could bench press?" <laughs> just, <laughs> Quick question. I've said that to people randomly. It's my favorite, like one of my favorite quotes. What do you think they're doing over there, Ray? 
<laughs> and finally, Reggie Nalder has an uncredited role, I don't know why, as vampire master Kurt Barlow. Which makes sense since, you know, he has no dialogue. He's just kind of a fixture. He could have this we didn't really need an actor for this. It could have just been no. a statue. It's such Oof. an inconsequential performance. Nalder was an Austrian actor who reached a high point in his career as the assassin Rien in Hitchcock's 1956 remake of The Man Who Knew Too Much. His other big high point was his role in Salem's Lot. And he died in 1991 at age 84 from bone cancer. Oof. Yikes. Painful way to go. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Bar- Kurt Barlow in the book is one of Stephen King's scariest bad guys ever. He's this ancient, un, you know, he says he's been around since the Romans. Like, he's witnessed the birth of Christ. Like, this is a powerful, ancient evil. And in the movie, he just goes, <sighs> three times, Ugh. and dies. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's so frustrating. He gets no dialogue. It's stupid. <sighs> Ugh, really bothers me. Yeah, no kidding. Especially since I just read the book and this was all still fresh. So I was just like, I was waiting for things to happen that never fucking happened. Ugh. Salem's Lot has an IMDb score of 6.8 and a surprisingly high Rotten Tomatoes score of 88%. Wow. I know. It's considered a classic by a lot of people. Hmm. It was nominated for three primetime Emmys, including Best Graphic Design and Title Sequences, Best Makeup, and Best Score for composer Harry Sukman. And, yeah, of the ones it should be nominated for, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, yeah. The the vampire makeup, admittedly, is pretty creepy. Yeah, I I do like the music. Yeah. This was his last score before he died, Harry Sukman. <coughs> Let's get into the plot of this mofo. It's pretty much, I, I wouldn't say identical to the book, but it's like 60-40. So we begin at a church in Guatemala, where Ben Mears and Mark Petrie are filling bottles with holy water. And they, they're on the run. They know that something's after them, and they know it's nearby, and they decide to fight it. And then we flash back to two years earlier, where Ben Mears is a, a successful, well, I wouldn't say successful, he's kind of a yeah. moderately successful author. Doing fine. I guess, you know, Stephen King, really, at the time. Yeah, yeah, He only yeah, had yeah. one there big book. <laughs> he goes home to Salem's Lot, Maine, his hometown, which never really gets addressed that much. And uh, he's there to write a book about the Marston House, this haunted house in town that kind of looms over the town on this big hill. And a lot of dark shit happened in that house. People were killed. The man who bought it, Hubie Marston, the man who the house is named after, it's very much implied he was a pedophile who killed a lot of children. And uh, the book goes into much more detail about the history of this house. But suffice it to say, it's a dark place. And Yeah, it's obviously it has that reputation. It's a yeah. magnet for evil men. Yeah. And the latest people that buy this house are these antiques dealers Richard Straker and the mysterious Kurt Barlow, who nobody has ever seen. Straker just kind of walks around, very English, in the middle of the day, while letting the townsfolk kind of stare at him the whole time. Yeah. He's a stranger in a small town. A stranger who keeps to himself. You can't be that in a small town, especially not a Stephen King story. You're up to something. <laughs> so... Ben wants to, He first he tries to get the house himself. He starts to rent it, and they're like, well, sold. Sorry. Yeah. And Crockett's like, huh, nobody ever tried to buy that house in 20 years. Now all of a sudden, these two people want it. Another statement that goes nowhere. 
<laughs> and it's a uh, you find out that Crockett is uh, banging his secretary. Yeah, of course. That's just so we can have a scene later that admittedly is entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Where her husband, uh, I think her name's Bonnie, and uh, yeah. maybe I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I think that's right. It sounds right. She's uh, her husband sticks a shotgun in, in uh, Crockett's mouth, pulls the trigger, and it's empty. Ah. So great. And then she fucking says, like, no, he tried to rape me. That's not what's going on here. Like, fuck you. Oh, God, that's the, oh, Fred Willard's just sitting there looking like an idiot in his fucking yeah. red boxers. It's like God, shiny damn it. 70s disco shorts. Ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> that actually leads to something in the book. But here it's just kind of played for comic relief. And then Crockett gets grabbed outside his house. <laughs> Oof. So Ben goes to stay at the local boarding house, and everyone's asking him, like, oh, you're a writer? What are you writing? And he's like, a book. Yeah. <laughs> he's very dismissive. <laughs> he's like, Just a, yeah. <laughs> Words. Words. I'm writing a book. Words, pages. <laughs> of the, the boarding house lady, he's like, she says, what are you writing? He's like, what do you do? She's like, I write books. He's like, oh, have I read any? She's like, you read, you, you, you read any books? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, no, of yours. Like, Fuck, dude. Jesus. <laughs> Why is he so pissed off? There's no reason to be pissed. The story, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Settle down, dude. He, I, his meeting of, with Susan is so weird in this movie. Yeah. He just kind of walks up to her and is like, what are you doing? You drawing? Hey, what's up? Yeah. Oh, you read my book? You shouldn't crease it like this. Why are you holding it like this? Yeah, you want to have hell? dinner? Like, just, Jesus, dude. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> in the, see, in the book, I know I'm going to do this literally the whole time. In the book. <laughs> of course. You have to. Ben is more of a soft-spoken, kind of insecure writer who doesn't know if he's any good. His books haven't sold that well. And he's here to kind of recapture the spark. And he meets this girl, Susan, in the park, chats her up, starts talking about, you know, oh, she's reading my book. Oh, do you like it? Oh, wow. And they actually have, you know, they form kind of a connection but this is very much like, hey, we need the plot to move on, so let's go have dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Where are we eating, huh? <laughs> hey, you need to know what you want before we get there. And they move straight into having dinner with her parents, yeah. which didn't happen for a while in the book. They need time to grow, and she's also really insecure, and her, mo- her mother's overbearing. Her relationship with, in the book, it's Floyd Tibbetts. In the movie, it's Ned Tibbetts. What the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> that whole thing actually is significant in the book. Here, it's just so he can get knocked out by the guy, and then the guy fucking disappears. Ugh! This movie bothered me a lot. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's all right. It's fine. We're, we're getting there. We're getting through it. Yeah. So, he... I def- have not read the book, just so everybody knows, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I'm. This is interesting, though. Yeah. I'm not surprised. It's a great book. Do not... Yeah, don't judge the story no, by this. No, I'm not surprised, because I think the movie... When a miniseries moot just doesn't have a good pace at all. It does not. So, yeah. I was, sense. Re- I was remarking before we started recording that I was really surprised that even with a three hour and 20 minute runtime, it leaves so much out. That's, yeah. It's amazing. You have the time to do this and you still don't do it right. You just do useless <laughs> shit. Ugh. So, uh, Ben just kind of goes around town, reconnecting with people, talks to his old school teacher, Jason Burke, as opposed to Matt Burke, which is his name. And they start talking. He's like, hey, you know, you were a major influence on me being a writer, so let's never talk about that again. How about, like, the house is evil, you know? And why did it draw me in? 
and he says uh, a line I actually really like is, uh, "Do you believe a house can be evil? Like evil in its in its bones, like pure darkness in the walls, in the floor, in the piping. Like, is that possible?" I'm like, "Hmm, I wonder." In his world, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Everything is fucking evil in Maine in Stephen King's world. Yes, the trees, yeah. <laughs> oh. The mist. He rec- Yeah, he recalls a traumatic childhood incident where he broke into the Marston house on a dare and saw the ghost of Hubert Marston, maybe, dangling from the ceiling. Creepy. A large crate is delivered to the Marston house one night. Straker has these two idiots... <laughs> deliver this crate to this house and is like, we need it in the house. And do not open it, understand? <laughs> yes. That's my terrible James Mason, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, so, right on the, like, right as, as soon as these two guys, Straker and Barlow, and really Ben, they all kind of show up at the same time. People start disappearing in town. Mm-hmm. The Glick kids disappear. Yeah. The Glick kids. The Glicks. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound right. <laughs> Sounds inappropriate. <laughs> uh, well, they become vampires, and they the creep the keep uh, the creepy scene that people remember the most from this movie is Ralphie or Dan. I think Danny Glick hovering outside of Mark Petrie's room. Yes, and admittedly, that's pretty creepy. They filmed it in reverse to make it look more ethereal. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And the makeup is really good. The vampires look creepy. All of them except for Barlow. He looked just ridiculous to me. <laughs> Fucking clown. He is a clown. Ugh. You know what it reminded me of? Bane and Batman and Robin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They took a great fictional character and they dumbed his ass down. Damn it. <sighs> what is the cause of this? <laughs> money. <laughs> money. Money, 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 money. So it's very obvious that in the big crate is Barlow. His yes. coffin. He's in, he's in town and he's hungry. I'm in the book. His stalkings are creepy as fuck because he'll walk up to people, introduce himself, and just say, like, you know, hello, it's a nice night. I am ancient evil and I hunger. I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty creepy. And uh, in the movie, we only see him in, like, the last 20 minutes of this thing. And it's just not worth it. (sighs) So... Straker is there to prepare for Barlow's arrival. They're going to take over this town. Yeah. And one by one, he starts eating kids and eating people. Gets Crockett, gets the Glick kids, gets, uh, what's the guy's name? The Gravedigger. Ryerson. Mike. 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 Yeah. I want to say Ned Ryerson, but I know that's not right. (laughs) Different movie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... The Glick boy kills his brother, and after the funeral, Danny gets Mike Ryerson, and they try to get Mark Petrie, but he's a smart kid. He's He studies horror. He's a, you know, he's uh, Charlie in Fright Night. He knows how this shit works. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, no way. You can't come in my house, and I'm not letting this know. Fuck way. that. He repels Danny with a cross. And <laughs> throughout movie history, it has always made me laugh the way vampires freak out at a cross it's, it's always like ah, ah, ah. they always freak the fuck out ah, yeah that's why I like Fright Night because it's way over the top 
Like they knew this is ridiculous. So yeah. let's go crazy. Let's with just it. go ahead and do it. Yeah. <laughs> do it right. Can't wait till we do Fright Night. That's going to be fun. Hell yeah. <laughs> so Ben and Jason and the doctor slowly start realizing something weird is going on in this town. And Jason, after experiencing a uh, freaky moment with Mike and his dead body, calls up Ben and is like, look, I think this, I think we got vampires. And Ben's like, the fuck you just say? You can't just say that. What do you mean we got vampires? And he's like, I'm telling you, man, he was dead and then he wasn't. And then he looked at me and he had fangs and he repelled from the cross. So you tell me. Fuck this. <laughs> uh, so... Our pet heads are falling off! <laughs> My God. This is the go-to, like, crazy problem. <laughs> so, the creepiest moment for me is when Danny's mother, Marjorie Glick, is dead in the morgue. Mm-hmm. And Ben's watching over it with a makeshift cross he made from fucking popsicle sticks. Yeah. I didn't know it worked like that. <laughs> Why didn't he just, like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just make the cross with his fingers. Never understood. <laughs> Reminded me of the fearless vampire killers when they made a cross with the swords and then just left it on the floor. Yeah. Goddamn. That movie was ridiculous. It was terrible. It was terrible. But Ben is still on the fence about this, but he's, he's got to admit, you know, weird shit's happening. Maybe, maybe Jason is not as crazy as we think. And then as he's saying the Lord's Prayer... Marjorie gets up, and he immediately was like, Bill, 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 get in here, Bill, right now, get in here. <laughs> Made me laugh. Like, David Soul, his tough guy exterior is fucking gone, and he is shitting his pants right now. He's terrified. And he fights off Marjorie and gets her right between the eyes with the popsicle stick cross. Repels <laughs> uh, her later on. We meet Barlow for the first time after he kills both of Mark Petrie's parents by <laughs> hitting their heads together like a fucking Three Stooges movie. <laughs> I think that's exactly how it went down in the book, though. Like, he just went poof, and they're dead. <laughs> Mark escapes with the help of Father Callahan, who is barely in this, despite being one of the most important characters of the book. So important that King took him out of Salem's Lot and put him as a central character in the Dark Tower series. But he's barely in this. I didn't even include him in the cast list. It's it's, he, it's, a, it's nonsensical. He's not even yeah. that important. No. But Mark escapes. Barlow gets the priest, presumably. And Jason has a heart attack after fighting off Mike Ryerson as a vampire. Which, yeah, I would have a heart attack, too. <laughs> so... Mark wants his, he wants Barlow dead. He wants revenge for the death of his parents. So he goes into the Marston house. And Susan, who's concerned about all this, follows him in. And they're immediately captured by Straker. And in the book, Straker's death is fucking awesome. The movie, it's ridiculous. He gets shot like 10 times and then just falls over. All holding like a big piece of something. Now in the book, uh, Straker has Mark tied up in a bedroom upstairs. Mark gets loose, grabs a uh, fire poker or some like metal thing, waits for Straker to come in the room, hits him on the head, gets Straker on the ground, beats him to death. But 
not all the way to death, because Straker's still slightly alive. Barlow finds out about this, rips him the fuck apart. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Great. In the Didn't get that in the movie. No. The doctor also kind of similar in the in the movie, but he falls down into a pit of like needles and is impaled. Straker doesn't just freak out and like push him into a wall full of swords. <laughs> Fuck. Ugh. And again, he just it reminded me of again Fright Night, where the like the keeper dude is going down the stairs. And he keeps getting shot, but he's not dying. And you think, oh, he's a ghoul or something. But no, Stryker's just really hopped up on adrenaline right now. Yes, yeah. And falls over pretty quickly after like 10 gunshots. (laughs) With everyone else dead, kind of most of it off screen, admittedly, Ben and Mark find Barlow's coffin in the cellar and they impale a stake through his chest. Yes. Really easily. Again, in the book... This was kind of hard, because <laughs> Barlow is an ancient evil, maybe the first vampire, maybe Dracula himself. It's not going to be that easy. No. And this, he's like, looking right at them, just letting just it out. jump. <laughs> uh, they get the hell out of there. The whole town is vampires now. Again, we're just kind of led to believe that. We're not really showing anything to, to prove that. They set fire to the Marston house. They can't find Susan. The house burns. The wind carries the fire towards the town. It's implied that the town is going to burn. But, Mark, you know, Ben says the fire's good because then it will, it will repel the vampires out of the hiding places and purify the town. When in reality, this isn't going to help. It's going to burn the town down. The vampire's still going to be there. Exactly. And then we go back to two years later with Ben and Mark in Guatemala. And obviously they're on the run from the survivors of the Salem's Lot vampire massacre. And their holy water glows when a vampire's nearby. That's weird. And they go to their lodgings to collect their belongings, knowing they got to get the hell out of there. And they find Susan lying in bed. None of this is in the fucking book. Really? (laughs) None of this. Well, them in Guatemala is. Susan showing up at the end is not. Wow. Ben uh, Ben having to kill her is a very emotional, powerful moment in the book. Mm-hmm. And it happens way earlier, even before they face Barlow. Jesus. It's kind of Ben's moment of accepting that this is his new reality. And that's lost big time in this movie. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Huh. And he just drives a stake through her heart, really emotionless, and is like, all right, Mark, let's go. <laughs> and that is the end of Salem's Lot. It's a really, it's a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. So... There was a theatrically released sequel made in 1987 titled A Return to Salem's Lot. It stars Michael Moriarty, Samuel Fuller, Andrew Dugan, and a whole bunch of other actors I don't recognize. Right. It was directed by Larry Cohen, the mastermind behind the It's Alive franchise, and it follows a man and his son as they vacation to Salem's Lot, now populated by vampires. The film was annihilated upon release, and Stephen King has disowned it. It has an IMDb score of 4.4, no Rotten Tomatoes critic score, but a user score of 23%. Yikes. It's reviled. Barlow's on the poster. He's not in the movie. (laughs) That pissed a lot of people off. There was another miniseries made in 2004 for TNT, starring Rob Lowe as Ben Mears, Andre Brower as Matt Burke, Donald Sutherland as Richard Straker, Samantha Mathis as Susan Norton, James Cromwell as Father Callahan, and Rutger Hauer as Kurt Barlow. It was poorly received and was later disowned by King again. 
IMDb score 6.2, Rotten Tomatoes score 50%, and most of that sounds cool. Rob Lowe as Ben, I, no. No thanks. Donald Sutherland as Straker, yeah, that's good. And I would say Rucker Hauer as Barlow sounds fucking awesome, but my uncle said he was terrible. He's the worst part. Uh, he, he's been watching him for, yeah. just for the hell of it. And, uh, <laughs> just cause he said that people watch weird things with their time. You know, Rucker Hauer is phoning it in the whole time. You can t- obviously tell like his scenes were filmed in a sound, a sound stage away from everybody else. He did this for money. He could give a fuck. Jeez. <sighs> they can't, they have yet to do this right. And there is currently a theatrical remake slated for development with Gary Dauberman set to write the script. Dauberman has written such films as the Annabelle trilogy and both chapters of it. Last I heard, James Wan was interested in directing. If they pull this off, Salem's Lot could be the scariest vampire movie ever made. Those are the right people to do this. I agree. And I think I think they could capture the, uh, you know, James Wan is so good at just like setting and tone. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think they're perfect. It's the perfect duo. Oh, for sure. They've already proven they could do, you know, Gary Dauberman's already made some great Conjuring movies. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that he wrote It 1 and 2. Exactly. He's already proven Stephen King street cred, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Let's see how this goes. Here's some film guys and facts for you. Number one, director George Romero was originally approached to direct a feature film version, but after the announcements of John Badham's Dracula in 1979 and Warner Herzog's Nosferatu the Vampire, Warner Brothers decided to turn Salem's Lot into a TV miniseries to avoid the competition. Romero dropped out feeling he wouldn't be able to make the film the way he wanted to with the restrictions of network television. Mm-hmm. Smart move, but can you imagine what Romero's Salem's Lot would have been like? Yeah, yeah. Whew. Would have been great. Big time what if. Number two, Larry Cohen wrote the first draft <coughs> of the movie's script, but producer Richard Kobritz said Cohen's script was, quote, really lousy and chose Paul Monash to write the screenplay. Cohen attempted an appeal to get some writing credit on the film, but he was rejected. Amazingly, this guy was given a sequel. (laughs) He's the guy who made Return to Salem's Lot. Jeez. The theatrical version was released in Spain with the title Phantasma 2, a supposed sequel to Phantasm, despite the fact that these two movies have zero in common. It was like Troll 2, one of those situations. Oh, man. (laughs) Number four, Psycho writer Robert Block was originally supposed to write the script of this. That would have been cool. <clears throat> and number five, the biggest issue that divides fans of the novel and miniseries is the fact that Barlow is depicted as a hissing Nosferatu-like monster in the adaptation as opposed to the speaking Dracula-like character of the novel. In an interview with Richard Kobritz, he said the decision to go with the terrifying monster figure came out of concerns that a speaking romanticized villain just wouldn't be frightening enough especially as John Badham's remake of Dracula starring Frank Langella was released in 1979. Stephen King was against the change at first, but after he saw the footage, he thought it may help the audience focus more on the main characters. So they went with a a watered-down Barlow because they didn't think a romanticized speaking vampire villain would be frightening enough. They didn't think it would work. And then... In 85, again, I go back to Fright Night. Yes, yes. Jerry Dandridge, one of the scariest vampires to ever be in film, and he talks quite a lot. <laughs> he wrote, He's a romantic. Yeah. That element of the character is crucial. 
The whole point of a vampire is it lures you in. Yes. You're tempted sexually. And yeah, there, yeah, there's something sexy about them. Yeah, yeah. And with Barlow, he's, he's just a, a rabid monster. Yeah. You wonder how something like this could be around for centuries. He's not intelligent. Straker's doing all the work. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And why? In the book, it's a partnership. In the movie, like, why the fuck is Straker doing this? I don't know. That's <sighs> bizarre. Yes. I give Salem's Lot a resounding six. Yeah, it gets a nice whopping five. It just doesn't do it for me. Doesn't do it for me either. The pace is completely off. It's padded to fit a three-hour yeah. miniseries runtime. Yeah. But it also leaves a lot out of the book and completely ruins Barlow. It's got its moments, but overall, it's a miss. And uh, other than... So you've never read the book, so this is your one exposure to Salem's I'll Lot. I'll get there. I'll that get sucks. there. Yeah, I'll get there, man. I am. It's a shame. Yeah, I do. I do think, yeah... Uh, it's going to be remade correctly. I hope so. I mean, if I it was ever going to happen, it's going to happen now. Yeah, exactly. You know, the King Renaissance. Uh, yeah, so this is my first time watching this movie, too. You know, ever. I it's my last time. Oh, yeah. this <laughs> that, that was it. Yeah. First and last, for sure. I, I don't see. Oh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anyone that doesn't love, love, love vampire stuff. You have to be really, really into that stuff to give this a go. Because some of the makeup is amazing. But that's all I can say, you know. It's a shame because I re- I am really really into vampire stuff and I did not like this at all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you and you love the book, yeah. So. Yeah, sad stuff. Damn. Sometimes it's yeah. Sometimes you miss. I think I am gonna watch the 2004 miniseries just for the fuck of it. See how it is. That's fair. I'm curious. So for Friday's bonus, we've uh, we've had a bit of a rocky road. Yeah. We've selected a few films. Uh, they weren't available to us, so we found something that yeah. we could we had access to. That fits the tone that we enjoyed. So what are we doing for Friday? We're doing 1987 uh, Monster Squad, directed by Fred Decker, written by Fred Decker and Shane Black. Monster Squad. That is, this is a my first go at this movie as well. So uh, exciting stuff. We wanted to do what we do in the shadows. Yeah, but but it's just I swear, like a month ago, it was on Prime. Yeah, it's gone. Uh, it happens. We'll get to that one eventually at some point, but this is a good backup. Yes. Uh, we will always have a backup no matter what. Oh, for sure. We will always be ready. One uh, Yeah, so uh, Connor has two copies of this film, so I was able to borrow it and watch it, and he watched it, so yeah. The Monster stuff. Squad is a longtime childhood favorite of mine, so it was really fun to revisit. I was excited because, yeah, I knew, I knew it was, you know, yeah, it was one of those 80s ones that you like, and I, I had no idea Shane Black uh, took part in it, so yeah. I enjoyed it. It's fun. Right on. Much man. shorter. It's a, it's It's... I think like an hour and 20 minutes or yeah. something. So yeah. Very basic. Two hours less than uh, sales. By the numbers. Just, yep. Here you go. <laughs> I like that kind of stuff. I like, I think all, Me too. I think all horror films should be under two hours. Basic. Short unless speed. you're like the shining. Yeah. Yeah. There's exceptions. You know, obviously. unless you're a masterpiece. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's tough. So let's see what happened this week in film. Not a lot apparently, but I've got four bits of news for you anyway. All right. Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker has surpassed $1 billion worldwide box office gross, yep. despite now being the worst-reviewed film in the franchise. And that is including the prequels. Yeah. That is sad. Very. Very sad. Even sadder, Colin Trevorrow's script for his original Episode Nine was leaked online, confirmed to be real. I read the highlights. It was way better. Mm. It was called Episode Nine: Duel of the Fates, and it... Everything made sense. Palpatine wasn't back. All this, like, there was no fixing anything. It was just built on what, you know, Last Jedi had already come out. So just build on it. 
Just, you know, do what you can moving forward. Don't backtrack. It's going to fuck everything up. Yeah. And Trevorrow had, he knew what he was doing. And what he made sounded like it would have been a fitting and a good conclusion to this. But no, JJ and uh, Kathleen Kennedy said, no, nah, we got we to gotta fix this. Let's do some greatest hits. Yeah. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Let's give him some popcorn. <sighs> also, Star Still Wars Still haven't seen it. <laughs> Yeah, I get it, man. I got you. I don't know. I'm not going to see it in theaters, so. Well, also Star Wars related, Oscar-nominated director Taika Waititi is in talks to helm a Star Wars movie for Lucasfilm, having already proven himself in the MCU with Thor Ragnarok. And yeah, why wouldn't I want to see Taika Waititi do a Star Wars movie? Do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since the future of Star Wars is likely to be individual solo movies that connect to like a, a larger whole like the MCU, which is totally fine. And uh, I'm, ex- you know, I'm excited. I, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be as excited about Star Wars, but I, I want to be. And I'm going to try. Yeah. And Taika's going to help. Yeah, you never know. Might get that magic back. Next up, very excited about this. Disney is finally planning National Treasure 3. With producer Jerry Bruckheimer returning and Bad Boys for Life screenwriter Chris Bremner penning the script. No word yet on whether Nick Cage, Diane Kruger, Justin Bartha, John Voight, or Harvey Keitel will be returning. No Nick Cage, I'm not there. But if I was a betting man, I'd say Cage will say yes immediately. Yeah, if he's not there, I'm not there. Dude, there's one thing that... Right? Man, yeah. There's Fuck one thing that, he needs, yeah. it's a guaranteed hit. And there's no better guaranteed hit than National Treasure the 3. Disney, yeah. Dude's gonna kill it. And I want... I really hope they don't ignore what's on page 47 of The Secret Book. I've been wanting to know what is on that fucking page since I was nine years old. Yes, Christ. <laughs> oh, uh, National Treasure is a treasure. Those two movies are both so much fun, especially you know being a history buff. John that's Boyd. The shit. John oh Boyd. <laughs> yeah. So much fun. Nicky Cage, man. Wonder what time period they'll go to for National Treasure Three. Like we did, you know, we had the Revolution in the first movie, we had yeah. the Civil War in the second one. Maybe like World War Two. We'll maybe see. it's some like big secret regarding like maybe Hitler's still alive. Yeah, there you go. Page forty-seven. I'm gonna lo- find Hitler's grave. The location of Hitler's brain. Yeah. They're making clones of Adolf Hitler, and I gotta stop them. There's a map on the back of his brain. I gotta find it. <laughs> we'll get started if you just calm down. My God, I can't do a respectable cage, but we love him here. We yeah. love him so much. He's the man. I don't think we've done any of his movies yet. No, we talked on the Coens, you know. We talked a little bit about Raising Arizona in the Coen Brothers episode. We haven't done the straight up. Not yet. Mickey Cage. But it, it will happen. Oh, yeah. It will happen. Of course. And finally, iconic cult director David Lynch released a new short film on Netflix titled What Did Jack Do? In it, Lynch stars as a detective who is interrogating a monkey for murder. I don't know why, but he's David Lynch. That should be enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't. He's the one filmmaker where you just can't question why he does what he does. Just yeah. assume he knows what he's doing. But like I recently just I recently started watching Twin Peaks for the first time. Nice. And uh, I'm halfway through the first season. I'm enjoying it, but it's fucking weird. Yeah. But I accept that because it's David Lynch weird. His weird is a different weird. <laughs> <laughs> so that is all. It's been a slow week for movies. Uh, yeah, we're lot, kind of in a weird time. Yeah. Salem's Lot is kind of a 
kind of a bust. I was really hoping for something from this miniseries. Yeah, it's frustrating. You know, we had some real bangers this month. Yeah. Because you know, it's, our, it's uh, our birthday. Uh, you know, we did American Werewolf last week and Blues Brothers for the bonus. And this just didn't quite fall in line with, didn't. with the rest. Yeah. But we didn't know that. You know, we took a chance on a movie we've both never seen before. Hey, we're doing, all, we're doing everything King's ever done. So, you know, yeah. any movie, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we have to knock them all out. Yeah, including the shit. I mean, we're going to do the Lawnmower Man at some point. So Hell yeah. It's <laughs> Yeah, you think yeah. this is shit? Oh, hold hold on. Yeah. So thanks for going to Salem's Lot with us this week. Enjoy Monster Squad on Friday, and on Sunday we'll be releasing a bonus on the 2019 Korean masterpiece Parasite. Oh, yes. It'll be our last Sunday bonus from 2019. Expect 2020 new releases from here on out. And we'll explain more on that in the episode. Next week we're going back to true crime with the underrated 2007 David Fincher classic Zodiac. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, and Robert Downey Jr. as the real-life cops and journalists who tried to crack the indecipherable code of the Zodiac Killer. Yes, there we go. Back on track. <laughs> Zodiac we both know we love, so yeah, I'll, that'll be fine. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a good This will be our time. second movie talking about a real-life serial killer. We did uh, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile last yeah. year. And uh, it won't be the last. There's a lot of true crime out there. True horror, real fucking scary shit that happened. And we're going to tackle all of that. First Fincher film, too. Yeah. Hell yeah. First David Fincher. This is going to be good. And not the last. Oh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, See you next week. And until then, don't invite any vampires into your house. And if you're a Stephen King character, better stay the hell away from Maine.